everybody has a style. Some of us take a long time to find the style. Actually, actually, style finds you. You never find style. And I hear this from a lot of other photographers asking, how do I get my style? How do I find my style? Well, you don't. The more you work, style is going to find you. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, folks, today we're talking with Ernst Schaefer. You know Ernst works from our Facebook group. You have seen his wonderful portraits and landscapes and nature photographies go by, and this is work, it's mostly black and white, all of it monochrome, that really I find personally inspiring. Uh, Ernst lives out uh, west of Seattle on the peninsula in Washington State, beautiful part of the world. Ernst, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Scott, and thanks for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. I am a fan of your work. I think you've been putting out some really, really tremendous stuff, and you've got one heck of a story. Uh, I'm reading about you on your own website here, and everybody, it's ErnstSchaefer.com, E-R-N-S-T-S-C-H-A-F-E-R.com. You've been a photographer for 40 years, but it's only till 1999 that you got a digital camera and you got interested in portraiture. So l- let me ask you two questions. How did you get, bring me from like birth up to 1999 here. How did you get first started in photography? Well, while I, when I was serving in Vietnam, Scott, uh, a friend of mine was buying the latest, greatest Nikon. And he looked over at me and he said, hey, Ernst, do you want this old Pentax, Spotmatic? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I need a camera. And that's the day that I said, you know, it would be just be great to become a photographer. Was, so was there was there I, was there something about capturing images that appealed to you beyond just the no, hardware? No, no, I was nineteen. I was thinking about all the pretty girls <laughs> and all the fast cars. Okay, I had no idea what a photographer really was about. I mean, I had no direction at that age, you know, at that age, and I just I just said, hey, it would be great to be a, become a photographer. So once I got out of the, out of the service. I moved to Vancouver, Washington, where they had of a Clark College, community mm-hmm. college, and they offered a photo program. That's where I moved the family to, and uh, as soon as I had the chance, I enrolled and started taking, you know, pretty much basic classes. What kind of images were you taking back then? Well, you know, back then you're just learning, so everything was garbage, and then ended up in the garbage. <laughs> ended up in the garbage can. <laughs> You are the guy that's doing archive diving, you know, uh, all the time on, on our Facebook page. So well, that's, you, true. You, you, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, we have learned after forty years what's good and what's not. Oh, okay. And a lot of times, and the reason I'm doing the archive uh, diving is to to kind of catalog the work and also just to go through those files and and really look at some of the stuff that I missed. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm surprisingly how many how many images I'm coming across that I'm going, wow, why didn't I grab that one when I first opened these files up? Well, so it's, it's been kind of a lot of fun. 
That's something I want to get into a little bit later because I do think, you know, when we change, when we get older, more mature or whatever, we start looking at that earlier stuff. We're coming at it with a completely different set of eyes, a completely different, you know, uh, historical set of experiences. Uh, So we're seeing a lot more in those than I think, you know, our 20, 25 year old selves can see. But then 1999 comes along. You get a digital camera. What happened then? Well, I was working at a small photo outlet in Squim. I, I was managing the, the camera department. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a one-hour processing, and we sold used equipment and new equipment. But it was just a small little outlet. And I had, I had started documenting the our irrigation festival here in Squim. And I was also the photographer out at the fairgrounds. And while I was out at the fairgrounds, I was saying to myself, you know, somebody needs to be photographing these kids with all their chickens and pigs and horses. <laughs> and so one year for four days, I finally said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to just take pictures of these kids and ended up selling 455 by sevens off of a picnic table. Oh my. And just at that time, uh, I went to Florida uh, for a trade show, and there was a gentleman giving a, a portrait class. And I said, well, I think I better get into this portrait thing, and see if I can make some money. And I took this class, and, and lo and behold, the photographer that was giving the class, his name was Monty Zucker. And mm-hmm. if you know anything about the portrait portrait industry, Monty was an icon in, in portrait photography. So he inspired me, and I started, opened up my own studio, and that's history. Well, well, tell me what about the portrait inspired you? Because you're living in one of the most beautiful spots on the planet. Why not seascapes and forests and orcas and, and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, those are fun photographs to take. Yeah. But try to make, try to make a living at that. <laughs> Okay, well, what, 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 was it just the business side of portraits that appealed to you, or was there something deeper? No, pretty much just the business. Uh, you know, when I opened up my studio, it was everything by the seat of my pants. Mm-hmm. Buying lighting equipment, learning learning proper posing and lighting, and uh, the more I got involved in it, the more I got inspired by portraiture. And uh, I, I just can't tell you how excited I got and I'm still excited about portrait work. Well, okay. I mean, you've obviously been successful at this. You've been voted best, you know, on the peninsula. You, you've got you know photographer of the year for Washington State. You know this kind of stuff. What makes a portrait special? For me, uh, it's not the smile. Mm-hmm. We're so used to all of this. When that camera comes out, we we bring out that cheesy smile. Which we all hate. <laughs> we all hate mm-hmm. that one, you know. And occasionally we give the camera a genuine smile that we all like a lot better. But you know, it took me a long time to figure out why people didn't like coming to see me at the studio, and finally it dawned on me it's because of that cheesy smile that mom gave you. So when I'm yes. doing portraiture work, when I'm doing portraiture work, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for what that sitter gives me rather than me dictating what I want from them. So I'm always looking from the back of my head as uh, they're getting comfortable, we're having conversation, they do something naturally, and that's when I say, please, please don't move. 
And that's the photograph that I want. That, that sounds like wonderful advice, but I'm just you know curious. How do you provoke that? How how do you get them comfortable enough to give you something honest when you know they might be relative strangers? I'm looking at your website here. Um, I mean, you've got business headshots, you've got high school seniors. I mean, th- these are these are basically short term or, or short appointment clients, right? Right. So, okay, how do how do you get truth out of the short appointment? The way you get truth is just by making them comfortable, having conversation, having some fun, mm-hmm. and just, again, you know, posing them the way you want to as far as what you think might sell, but at the same time, allowing them to be themselves. Well, that is that is very good advice. I mean, I'm looking at these pictures. These are really stunning pictures. And, you know, and, and I'm looking at the senior pictures right now. It's really easy to do a generic job in this genre, and you've got well beyond that with all of these. You, you are finding something really cool about each character. Tell me about, because you know, in, on your portfolio list, you've got children, high school seniors, business headshots, but then you've got fine art images. And these are the ones that we see most frequently at frames. These are the kind of images that you put up uh, most often there. Right. What What is the distinction between what you're calling fine art and what you're not? Boy, that's 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 hard to put into words at times. Uh, you know, I think it it has to do with how you're seeing the subject. It has to do with how much you enjoy the subject. Of course, different uh, types of weather, different types of light, mm-hmm. a quiet moment that you, that you're realizing. Uh, there are so many things that that kind of go into that genre. Mm-hmm. Are are these more self expressions than reflections of other people? Well, they are self ex- uh, expressions, yes. But at the same time, I, I love the history of photography. I have a huge uh, photo library, and I also have a huge uh, photo print collection. Mm-hmm. So I'm inspired by many, many photographers, both the photographers that are gone and many photographers that are still with us. Well, let's say, you, you know, you're speaking at a conference or you, you spoke at a conference and part of the a description here is he says, you know, Ernst will be speaking about the history of photography and how it intertwines with his own history of becoming a photographer. So, I mean, right. tell me, so tell me about, tell me about how the history of photography intertwines with your work well again i enjoy studying photographers and one of the one of the greatest photographers that we've ever had was alfred stieglitz Mm -hmm. in my opinion he's the most important person in american art art history and the reason for that is he's the one that championed photography as an art form he's the one that showed picasso for the first time matisse rodin who did he marry Georgia. Mm-hmm. So, so again, I'm inspired by the, his work, and I, I try real hard to not copy what he's doing, but to have that, have that knowledge of him come out of the things that I'm seeing. If, if you believe that photography is art, which I do, obviously, um, but I mean, uh, how, do, how does that inform what you do when you lift the camera up to your eye and you're framing a shot? And, you know, to think that this is, you know, somehow an art form. Does it make my composition different? Not necessarily comp- make your composition different. 
You know, one of the rules, and probably the only rule that I apply to or adhere to when I when I think about composition is something that I l- learned right away from Edward Weston. How strongly are you seeing what you're looking at? That's the only rule that I follow. I'm really taken by, and again, your archive diving is is a series um, on frames that I'm really, really digging. And one of the recent ones is a 2016 picture of Lake Crescent. It's got a bunch of, of buoys heading straight out from the center of the image. Right. Yes. Everybody, you, you should be able to find this image real quick if you go to the, to the Frames Facebook page. So, I mean, Ernst, walk me through this image, both as a situation. I mean, tell me where you were and what you were doing, but then walk me through it as an idea as well. All righty. Uh, it's, it's at Lake Crescent, which is a huge lake that we have west of Port Angeles. Very popular. It's part of the National Park. Uh, there at the far end, uh, at the west end, there's a swimming hole and a small little grocery store. So whenever I go out to the west end, one of the first places I stop after traveling around Lake Crescent is at Fairhome. It's called Fairhome, uh, the spot. And again, there's a small dock there. It's very popular in the summertime. And, you know, you just, you just, walk through and you you kind of look and you and you try to see what catches your eye and here are these uh these floats that is for where the swimmers could could be without going too far out right those floats aren't necessarily right in the center of the photograph they're mm-hmm. a little bit a little bit skewed to the left mm-hmm. and then you and then as you're looking down down that line, you'll notice a couple of floats to the far to the far left of the image, and then just the just the tonality of the mountains in the background and the water, pretty much what captured me to want to take that. Okay, now talk to me about this. How strongly you're seeing what, what you're looking at? What? How does that apply to this image? Let's see. How does that apply? It's just how 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 well are you seeing what you're looking at? Mm-hmm. What's the strongest composition that you can that you can get out of a certain photograph? Uh, I posted another one just the other day, and that I found in the archives that I hadn't op- that I hadn't de- edited at all. It was a 2018 image, I believe, and it was of uh, I like photographing chairs, mm-hmm. and I like and I like photographing shadows, and this was. This was kind of a chair that I've looked at before and photographed before, and I'll probably photograph it again the next time I go to Port Townsend. And it's just a side view of the chair, and then there's this white uh, planter box or planter sitting in the center of the image, and then the shadow of the chair. And and it's very graphic. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite photographers is Ralph Gibson. Who has who has a very very graphic eye to him, and so this is homage to Ralph Gibson that image. Okay, there, there, there's an awful lot of you said tonality before and shapes and and lines. Are are you attracted to uh, sort of geometry and tones more than subject? Uh, pro- probably all three. Okay, not not just one single thing, but all three. Mm-hmm. Let's take just a quick break. 
We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. Because I'm looking at your at your picture here from the Ferry Project, which um, is, is from 2016. Again, it's, it's a bench, it's a shadow, all sorts of beautiful lines, both hard and soft. It's one of those images that you look at, and there's a, there's an emotional um, relationship with what you're seeing. Really intriguing stuff, and not subject oriented. It's not a picture of the chair. It's the picture of, or I should say, bench. Uh, it's it's a picture of the shape of this bench, all tied up with, with other shapes and relationships. There's a real nice sense of complexity there. Tell me about monochrome. Now, not all your pictures are monochrome. A lot of your, you know, your portraits, you know, the, the, the headshots and that kind of stuff are in color. But the work that seems to be fine art, the work that seems to be more earnest than somebody else, tends to be um, grayscale of one sense or another. Why is that? Yes, black and white. I started, out, I started out as a black and white photographer when I was doing classes at Clark. I, I met a master black and white uh, photographer in Portland. His name was Cedric Williams, mm-hmm. who who inspired me not only to be a photographer but also to be an artist. Black and white is is more abstract since we're taking the color away, and I believe we tend to look at a black and white photograph a whole lot more, and we notice we notice all those tones that a black and white can give you. Why do you think we look at black and white more? Uh, again, I think it's it's because of it's an abstract uh, medium. Mm-hmm. You know that with color, of of course, the first thing that slaps you in the face is is that color, and then okay. after after that color, then you then you start looking at the the image more. To where with with black and white, it's it's more subtle. It doesn't slap you in the face. Mm-hmm. But then you start enjoying the tonality of an image and exploring the image, I think, more so than a color photograph. And here's a good example. If you're looking through a magazine and in one page there's a color image and the following page there's a black and white image, I tend to think that you look at that black and white image a little bit longer than you did that color one. Because we're filling in missing data or because why? I guess it's 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 taken away the reality, okay. That we're used that we're used to seeing every minute of our day. As I'm looking here in my workroom, all I'm seeing is the color. Right. Well, I'm with you 100 percent there. I mean, 99 percent of the work that I do is in black and white, and I find it a really sort of you know removed from time way of presenting a photograph. Um, a flower becomes more archetypal instead of oh here's you know, this particular tulip on a Tuesday. Speaking of which, in, in your fine art gallery on your website, the second picture is a beautiful picture of a flower. Walk me through that image. I mean, the, the studio setting, the lighting, because it's re- it's black and white, and it's a really compelling image. How did this one come to be? Okay, now is that a, a Cal Um, I'm sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and, and you, you've just learned one of my deep dark secrets i cannot name flowers to save my life if it's not a rose or a dandelion then i'm just pretty much lost okay well more than likely it's a calla okay and the reason it's a calla again it goes back to my to my mentor cedric mm-hmm. who who probably one of the first photographs that i ever bought was one of his calla Actually, I think I bought a, uh, my first photograph of his was a nude, but I, but I have a number of Callily photographs from him, and I took it upon myself to make a make that a project, okay. photographing Callilies every season. So I I bring them in, I abscond them from churches here in town, and <laughs> and, and bring them into my studio and spend two hours with them. Okay. I move them around. I, I change the lighting a little bit. You know, I, I, I just work with them, work with them, work with them. And the following day, I spend some more time with them. Are, are you a patient photographer? Yeah, I, I believe I am patient. Uh, I'm, I'm not a stressful person. I, I, I think I take my time at times. You know, uh, sometimes you don't have the time. You better get to work and, and find and and go after the hunt, you know. Mm-hmm. But with Callilies, it's just, just, you know, I do so many projects, and that's just one of my projects. Well, there, the, patience is one of the things we don't talk about enough with photographers because, you know, a lot of people that work with street or documentary stuff, you know, that's all serendipity. That's all right then uh, in the moment. But even studio people who've got, you know, three, four, 17 lights, it doesn't matter. You know, if they spend an hour with a flower, you know, that might be a long time. And then I hear you saying you spend a day and then maybe a second day. What what are the tweaks that you're making? Is it all just subtle changes in lighting? Is it changes in your sort of creative imagination? Yeah, I think I think it's just uh, change changing in 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 movements as to how I place that that image that flower uh, into my viewfinder. You know, I, I'll get closer. I'll move it to the left or right. I'll add another one to it. I'll shoot it from underneath rather than from from above or eye level. I just take the time to explore as much as I can for a certain amount of time. Do you, do you ever get it right or do you just get it right enough? I definitely get it right. Okay. <laughs> At times. But, but, it, <laughs> but it takes time. And it's just like getting out in the, in the street and photographing in the street. You're not going to capture exactly what you're after every time Mm -hmm. there is an old saying in the creative writing world that that a poem is never finished it's merely abandoned and i i feel that way an awful lot especially when i'm sitting you know in front of my computer doing post-production and you keep tweaking and you keep tweaking and you think okay this this is almost beautiful uh-huh. And, you, and you know, and, and you know, you can spend the next five minutes or the next five years trying to find that last one half of one percent, which is is sort of a way to get into to, you know th- this interest we talked about earlier in the archive diving. How are you finding something new in pictures you took? Tell me, tell me about your interest in going back through your earlier stuff. Well, again, I, I'm, I'm doing it primarily to to catalog 
all these projects that I've been working on. And, and, and as you're going through them, you know, you, you know which ones you've worked on before. And as you're scanning through them, all of a sudden you come across one and you ask yourself, well, why didn't I, why didn't I grab that one when I first was viewing these files? You know, you look at something, if you're out and about and you look at something and, and you don't know why you're looking at it, and then the following day you're passing by it again and you, and you just have to look at it again, and you're, and you're still not sure why, why am I looking at this? And I think later on in years, the answer comes your way. Mm -hmm. and, and so you, you're always going to take the shot even if you don't know why. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Is it wisdom that comes along as a viewer, do you think? I think so. I think, you know, we're, we're always educating the eye. Uh-huh. And, and the more we educate that eye, the more we, we look at something completely different than we did two years ago. Mm -hmm. with, with the archive stuff, are you reprocessing any of them? Oh, yes, absolutely. Some of the stuff that I, that I have processed before, I'm definitely reprocessing because I've gotten, I've got, I've learned a few new things. Uh huh. You know, I like, I like a rich brown tone. And so I, I've learned to add a little bit more red and a little bit more yellow this time around mm -hmm. to my images. One of the things my mentor used to do back in the old uh, darkroom days. He, he used to selenium tone all of his darkroom prints. And the instructions tell you one part selenium, ten parts water. Well, he got to a point where he reversed that. Oh, my. Ten parts selenium, one part water. <laughs> and he, he used to use a Agfa Pertriga paper. And he would get this just rich eggplant purple tone. Out of his out of his prints, and it just floored me. I, I have yet to be able to find that using Photoshop. Are are you much? I mean, I know your your early experience was all with film, and now you're doing digital. But are you still heavily invested in the printing of your images? Oh yes, here here using an Epson printer. Okay, and and that that one will allow you to tweak, you know, uh, tone values. Oh, I do that in Photoshop. Okay. Once I get my image the way I want it to look on my computer screen, I turn my printer on and I hit the print button. <laughs> uh, I'm, not a very, I'm not a very technical person. Okay. Scott. Okay. Okay. But I know what I like. Yeah. I, it, it's, 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 it's the, the problem is I do too. I hit print and what comes out of the printer, I say, well, that's not it. Go back to the machine and, <laughs> and, and try it again. Tell me a story. Tell me a story about an image that, if for whatever reason, is special to you. Well, I think we all we all have a signature print. Okay. Just like uh, Ansel Adams' signature print was Moonrise over Hernandez, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, I photographed an image uh, at uh, Ruby Beach. It was early morning, probably about 7 o'clock in the morning. The, the sun was raking the rocks in the foreground. And we have some sea stacks in the in the background, and my wife and I had just walked in into the beach. We have two golden retrievers; they were with us, 
And all of a sudden, these four ladies that are very religious ladies with religious garb on, like Mennonites, mm-hmm. came into view, came walking in, and I said, Donna, please take the dogs. <laughs> and, I gra- and I grabbed about four or five shots of these ladies, and it's, it's a very timeless image, and I'm reminded of uh, Alfred Stieglitz's work when I, when I see it. And why why did that composition become what you're calling a signature print or a signature image? What does it say about well, you? Well, it's well, it's a it's a very strong image as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. and I've sold a lot of copies of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so other people agree with you. Yes, you know, uh, uh, Ansel sold over 900 copies of Moonrise. Uh huh. That was his signature print. Uh, is there an Ernst Schaefer style? And not not to the headshots, not not to the corporate stuff or the high school kids. Is is there something that, that you're saying this this is my stamp on this? Everybody has a style. Some of us take a long time to find the style. Actually, actually, style finds you. You never find style. And I hear this from a lot of other photographers asking, "How do I get my style? How do I find my style?" Well, you don't. The more you work. Style is going to find you. So, you know, you're, you're looking back over your collection and you're starting to see trends that you didn't know you were developing. Absolutely. Oh, man. So, okay, I'm assuming that style has found you. What? How would you describe your approach, again, to the fine art stuff, to the landscape stuff, to the stuff that isn't uh, sort of you know, pre-designed by an art director? You know, again, I, th- I think it just, comes from working you know you you keep practicing you keep practicing you keep practicing you keep you keep studying other other photography other photographers you you add that to your memory bank you you hope the next time you go out you've used everything you've learned to that one photograph that you're seeing right one of the things that, that I would argue about your work, and again, I'm looking at the uh, Lake Crescent picture, I'm looking at the bench on the ferry project. I, I think that your love, your fascination with portraiture is how you're approaching your landscape work. It's how you're approaching all the work that I've seen. Th- th- there is a kind of idea, at least for me as, as an audience, um, that this is not a landscape picture of a series of floats. This is a portrait. It, it's a tableau. It, it's a kind of moment that is representative of something much more timeless and, and much larger. So, you know, would would you be comfortable with the idea that as that your landscape work is really portraiture? Yeah, I would be I I would be comfortable with that. I think I think it all ties in. Mm-hmm. I think I think all the personal projects that you might be involved in visually they they should all tie in. So how how do you know when you've got it right? The the hair on the back of my neck stands up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just feel that excitement. It doesn't come every time, but you get excited about seeing something, and and you you know you have the shot. I one of my projects that I started when I first got into portraiture, and having a, a studio street level in downtown was I was. I would yank people off the sidewalk and I would invite them in the studio and I would just take a, take a few shots, not too many. 
and uh, it just became a kind of a fun little project for me to to start with. And I had a I had a lady named Tina stop by every once in a while, and we would chat. And she she looked pretty rough, but she wasn't homeless. But she had a really hard life, and she spent a lot of time soaking up the sun in Hawaii and down in California. So her so her skin was was pretty weathered, you know. But still, she was attractive. And and one day, I said, Tina, please come inside and let me take some pictures of you. And she did. And I and I took a pretty strong image of her. At least I felt I did. Yeah. And was she happy with it? You know what? I once I took that picture, I have never seen her again. Oh, she man. disappeared on me. Oh man. I, I did, wouldn't it be fun if we could all go back to the people we've taken pictures of that we've never seen again? At least, at least the good pictures. Uh, and oh, yeah. say, yeah. <laughs> did, did, did you see this? One other question I want to ask you, you know, going through your website here, is that you offer um, complimentary fine art sessions for Native Americans in your region. Right. Tell me what. Tell me how that got started. Tell me a story from there, and tell me what you're what you're doing. Well, we have a number of tribes here on the peninsula, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you know who Edward Curtis is. Yep, yep. Well, Edward, uh, we had a photographer here, a local photographer back in the early 1900s. His name was Gay Morris, Samuel Gay Morris, and he was the, the Native American agent. He was a commissioner. He was a sheriff. He was also a photographer. I knew of his work. And I also knew of Edward's work, and I'm pretty sure Samuel and Edward went out to Nia Bay to photograph the natives of the, from the Macaw tribe. And so when Native Americans called me to have an appointment, one of the first questions I always asked is, would you mind bringing your regalia along? And if they did, I gave them more time, and I also offered them a complimentary print. Oh, that that is that is very cool. Um, and the images are, I mean, guys, it's all on the website. You have to go look. The images really, really are striking. Something about the website, it's extremely old. I haven't done anything with it in quite some time. And well, I need to I need to dump it and start anew. <laughs> 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 you, you know what? I think just about every photographer out there is, is going to say, "Yeah, me too." Uh, uh-huh. it, it, it's tough to keep those things those things current. Tell me what you're working on now, man. Tell me what next time you go out the door, what are you going to go do? This evening, I have to photograph some acrobatic students for for a, a teacher that I've been been photographing for a number of years. That'll, that'll be fun, mm-hmm. and then. Tomorrow morning is going to be the lowest tide of the year, and I read in the paper today that it's probably the the lowest tide in about 18 years because of where the moon is set. Mm -hmm. So first thing in the morning, early in the morning, I'm going to be going out to one of my favorite places and doing some landscape work. Oh, I hope you post that stuff. I mean, and if you do, you'll be posting it before this podcast airs. So everybody, go look for it. I wish you the best of luck on that one. That that sounds Alrighty. like it could be really, really cool. Ernst, man, thank you very much. This has been really, really fascinating. I'm a fan of your work and full speed ahead. 
Well, I appreciate the, the kind comments, and I and I really enjoy being a member of and uh, part of Frames. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. Frames, because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com. <laughs>